Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. We have been doing a series as we started this new year called Rise Up. Can you say that with me? Rise Up. And it's a call for significance in our life. It's a challenge to you to make a difference with your life. I mean, no, you've only got one life to live. And you don't want to die having said, I bought the biggest HDTV Sam's ever had. I mean, I don't want to die that way. I, I don't want to die just with all the, the trophies of baseball and sports or hunting or whatever the case is. I want my life to matter for eternity. And you know, the only way for that to happen is that I impact people's lives with the kingdom of God. Well, Nehemiah is a great role model. He's an example to follow. And as I read the Bible, I don't read the Bible just for history. I read the Bible looking for how, to see how it applies to me. And Nehemiah is a great guy that really made a difference. And I want you to think of this word this morning. It's called obstacles. Can you say obstacles? Obstacles are things that stand in your way. They're barriers between you and where you want to go. When I was in the Navy a long, long time ago, I went to boot camp in Florida, and I held the, the camp record for the fastest time going through the obstacle course. Now, I may not look like it now, but I was a pretty agile guy and pretty athletic. And you climb these, you know, you climb these walls and you walk across the poles and you swing on ropes and do all these different things. But your goal is to get to the finish line. Now, as we've been talking about Nehemiah a couple weeks ago, we looked at several obstacles he faced. And first of all, there was an obstacle in his job. I mean, you know, sometimes your job gets in the way of what God might want you to do. Well, lo and behold, he worked for a king, and he wanted to leave this king for a number of years and go to Jerusalem. He was actually going to go and be the impetus to help move the people of God's forwards. See, the whole nation of, of Israel, the people of God in that period of time had kind of stopped, and Nehemiah got them to go forwards. Well, the king was in his way. Number two, he needed protection across the wilderness. That was an obstacle. But he also needed provision. How many know if you're going to do some rebuilding, you need materials? Well, he didn't have any of that, but lo and behold, they're all things that were in the way, but God got him around them. Well, what I want to talk about this morning is three more obstacles, and the first one is an obstacle that I'm going to call discouragement. And it's not just his discouragement, but the people that he was laboring with were discouraged. The second obstacle is a word called injustice. We're going to explore the term and see what it means because oftentimes when there is injustice in the world, until you and I as Christians get involved and deal with it, how many know it still stays pretty messed up? But you may have an obstacle of injustice. And last one was an inner conflict that he had. He had something uh, uh, in his life where he had to make a decision. Am I going to hold on to my rights or am I going to give them up? Because what I need to do is I want to advance the kingdom of God. I think you'll get something out of this this morning. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we'll begin. And let's look at this first obstacle, the obstacle of discouragement. Now, verse 11, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. Okay? He gets to Jerusalem, and again, he is... And I want you to see his life is a picture towards significance. His life is geared towards doing something. And, and his goal is to jumpstart the Jewish people to help rebuild the city. Because how many know the Jewish people were God's chosen people through whom Christ would be born? Uh, the Jews were the ones that God chose. The law of Moses came to them. So it's almost as if God's purposes were kind of on hold and he needed a man to move it forwards. Well, it was Nehemiah and he gets in the city. Verse 17, I said to them, you know very well, and he's speaking to the leaders of the people, you know the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then he says these simple words, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And then he said, I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let 
us rebuild. Now, so you're reading the Bible and you kind of get that paragraph and you read it and say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, here's a guy who went in. They needed a motivational leader. He showed up. He's got, you know, the king's soldiers with him and he's got some letters for materials. What's the big deal? Of course, they'd start. You know how long it had been since they started construction and stopped? Seventy years. Now, I went back and as I began to study this and think of the history of the Jewish people because I want you to think how discouraged these people were. Of course, under Moses, about 800 years before this time, Moses warned them that if they walked their own way, if they walked in rebellion against God, did their own thing, that sooner or later God would discipline them and he would judge them. Well, lo and behold, it happened. They were sent into exile. The two kingdoms, the northern and southern, the, uh, the, ba- the Babylonians, the Assyrians came, took them in captivity. And how many know when God disciplines us, it's not because he hates us and it's not forever. It's redemptive. It's to get our attention, to get us back on track. Well, he did that. After 70 years, God started sending his people back to Jerusalem to build the city. Now, the center of worship in their day was around the altar. The altar was the place of the sacrifice. The sacrifice is what atoned for the sins of the people that was a precursor to the cross of Christ. Well, they went back and they built the altar and they built the temple. That took about 20 years, but for some reason, all the activity stopped after those 20 years. We don't know why. We don't know if they were maybe out of money, couldn't buy materials. Maybe their enemies were trying to stop them. Maybe no adversity is always there. When you try to do anything for God, somebody's going to be in your face. Somebody's going to be against you, and that's what we're going to look at next week, and I think that'll be probably one of the better messages because you'll see how Satan has a strategic plan. He uses enemies to oppose what you try to do in the work of God. They were called names like Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. We'll explore them next week. So we don't know why they stopped, but one thing we do know is the work had stopped after 20 years, and now it had been 70 years. So if you can imagine, it's like a a work half completed. Imagine if you build a house and you run out of money and you can't put sidewalks in, you can't put driveways in, you can't put sod or grass in, and your new house, it's kind of nice on the inside, but when people drive up, they drive through the mud, they, they walk through the mud, it just something is not finished. Well, they had lived like that for 70 years. Virtually everyone that was alive, uh, they had all their lives, they had seen these broken down walls, this broken down city. But also it was a picture that the whole nation had stopped in their pursuit of God. This is something that I know. It's very difficult for me to believe God for something for any length of time. My wife and I are praying about something, and a family member has a health condition. And, uh, you know, the doctor says you need to do surgery. And we prayed about it, and it seemed like Christmas time, you know, the surgery was not going to be necessary. And then, lo and behold, you know, the symptoms came back again. And it's like you believe, and you get down. You believe, and you get down. Well, after a while, it's pretty easy to stop believing. Well, I think this certainly defined the people here of Israel. They were discouraged. Now, discouragement, and here's what I want you to see, because Nehemiah, just like you and I, when you endeavor to do something for God in the kingdom of God, usually you're not doing it by yourself. Usually there's other people are involved, and in this case, these people were discouraged. Now, let's see what, 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 uh, what happened to them. Discouragement, of course, is, is simply like a drained car battery. You know, discouragement means uh, you've lost confidence, you've lost hope, you, you just feel helpless. And, and let me kind of illustrate this. I want you to think about the battery, because all of us have gotten in the car, you know, and you're ready to go to work, and, and obviously, you know, the kids are in the car, you're late for school, you turn the key on, and it goes... You mask the gas pedal like that's the problem, you hit the dash... Or maybe it goes... What do you do, ladies? 
A few of you call your husband. Some of you, I don't know what you do. Now, I want you to see people are like that car battery. And sometimes people need a jump start in their faith to believe God. You know, so Jeff is the, I, I'm the one with the power and the fire here. Jeff is the guy that's, uh, that's a little bit down. Give us the, all right, I'm going to hook you up here, Jeff, all right? Hey, look, piercings are in, man. Come on, this is going to be a church piercing. I don't think so, Pastor. No. All right. Okay, so anyway, so you hook him up, you know, red to red and black to black, and all of a sudden this car, but then there's one with life, and you, and you just touch the post, and what's it do? little fire that's there. You power them. Before you know it, you, you hook that thing up and then say, Okay, honey, try it. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> you get the picture. Give the car battery a big hand there. But, but how many know we all need some power and some fire to make us go vroom, vroom sometimes? And, and, and listen... What you're going to see is Nehemiah was able to do this. When you're reading through this passage, it's like you read it, and, and, and it's almost like this is too simple. But, but let's pause just again. Look at verse 17 again. How did he jumpstart their faith? Now, verse 17, he's talking to the leaders. He says the city is in ruins. They all saw that it was in ruins. But then he simply said these words. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Let's rebuild the wall. And then I told them about the gracious hand of God that had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And then they replied, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Say, okay, preacher, what are you trying to tell me? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you have a word from God and if you have a testimony of what God's doing, people will come alive. If, see, when he said let us rebuild, he was not a motivational speaker. He was not just saying, when life gives you lemons... He didn't say that. He didn't have a hint from Heloise, you know. He didn't have a, a dear Abby bit of advice. He had a word from God. I mean, he knew that he was on a mission from God. And how many know that same dynamic can work in us? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Hearing by the, the word of God. That's talking about our salvation specifically, how we come to Christ because we hear God's word about God's love for us, about God's offer of forgiveness, and something happens on the inside of us. And it says, yes, this is true, and it's the life of God coming to us. That's what happens when God speaks. And that's what I'm looking for when I'm reading the Bible. I'm looking for God to be communicating with me. Well, my friends, I'll tell you this, and this is the first thing to know, is that when for your friends are discouraged, what they need from you is somebody that's in touch with God and somebody that can say, listen, God's given me an encouraging word. Let me tell you what it is. Yeah. Now, now, they don't need you to come up to them and, and, and say, yea, yea, thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto thee, my son. They don't need you to do that. <laughs> because how many know, just because you say yea, yea in King James English, that doesn't mean that it's the Lord. It could be, but it may not be. But if you just tell that person, man, I've been praying over this thing, and let me tell you what I believe the Lord showed me. And you open up the Bible, and they just go, wow. Or you share a dream that you had, or, or some sense that God just spoke to you. Can I tell you, friends, it's life-giving. And every one of us in this room can do that, because every believer has the Holy Spirit living in them, and you're just trying to get the charge out of the battery cables coming out. But the second thing that he did is he not only shared what God said, but he showed them in his testimony what God was doing. Now, the Bible tells us, and, and here's what he did. He basically said, listen, the king sent me here. He showed them the soldiers. He showed them the letters, you know, so they could get the materials they needed. And they saw something God was doing. Do you realize your testimony is powerful? 
The Bible says in the book of Revelation that they overcome the enemy of our soul by what? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. So I can tell you this, my friends. The first lesson we learned from Nehemiah, when he faced the obstacle of discouragement, he was able to get beyond it because he had a living word from God and because he had right there, he had a testimony. Let me tell you what God's doing because here's the deal, friend. People want to move forwards. People want to see their lives go out and, and, and progress in a forward fashion. And if you as a man or a woman of God have the word of God and you have the hand of God on your life, listen, there's absolutely nothing that can stop you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this, this morning. Let's look at another obstacle. It, it's called injustice. Look in chapter 5. Injustice. Now, that's an interesting word. Injustice simply means that something is unfair, that you're violating someone's God-given rights, that you're treating them in, in, in an unfair fashion, that what you're doing is wrong in the way you're treating people. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, an interesting passage. This is the second big barrier. Some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. So now what we see, there's division. The nation of Israel can't go forwards if they're divided. In verse 2, it's pretty basic. We need more food to survive. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields to pay our taxes. But verse 5 is most intriguing. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. So here's the picture. The whole nation is in trouble. Now, let me, as, as I read the Bible, I don't just read for history. How many know biblical history is important? But I try to say, how does this apply to the world that we live in today? When, when I open the Bible to you on a Sunday morning, I want to give you something that you can put into practice, a principle, a truth, uh, something in the Bible that you can live by. And I want you to see this situation. Nehemiah saw injustice. He saw some wealthy people, not all, but he saw some wealthy people treating their poor brothers and sisters in, in a manner that was biblically wrong. It was incorrect. They were not treating them in a just fashion. What they were doing is they were charging what's called usury, us, usurious interest. In other words, it was the practice of usury, an exorbitant amount of money, and these poor people were going bankrupt. Now, I want you to see this. It was not all wealthy people. Now, if I can give you a, a, a lesson that I see in our society today. In our society today, politicians are telling us, and the political conversation is, America's in the trouble it's in because of the wealthy people. And if the wealthy people would just pay more taxes, if they would just do their part, then the rest of us would be better. Can I tell you, my friends, they are manipulating us. That is not true. Now listen, there may be some wealthy people that are taking advantage of other people, but that is not the case universally. And, and, and what's kind of happening in our culture today is we're creating a class warfare. It's picking up on the frustration that all of us have as, as men and women, and also on greed and envy, wanting to have what somebody else has. Did you know if, if the government were to confiscate all the wealth of the top 1% or 2% of the people, which, by the way, pay over 50% of the taxes that the government uses... But do you realize that if the government were to confiscate not only their income, but all the possessions they own, that it would only cover a few months, no more than six months, of the debt, or not of the debt, but of the budget that the United States incurs? But when you listen to some of these political pundits and some politicians, it's almost like the evil wealthy people are trying to take advantage of you. Can I tell you, my friend, you need to listen with a discerning ear. 
I wish I lived in a nation where our government, if they want to do something, help all of us become wealthy. You know, help all of us become wealthy rather than saying certain people are bad or certain people are evil. America is the greatest nation on earth. We have more prosperity than any other nation on earth, and we didn't get it from a government handout, come on, or a government program. We got it because men and women who had a vision, who had a dream, and who had freedom, and who had economic liberty, and had government policies that allowed them to produce wealth, and it produced the greatest nation in the world. So I want to encourage you today, don't let yourself buy into that thing that says wealthy people are evil and, you know, if poor people would just have a better life if the wealthy people would give them some of it. Listen, how many know God is the one that promotes us? And I want to just encourage you, it was not all the wealthy people here, but some of them were in the wrong. Now, how many know, listen, you don't just have to be wealthy to treat people with injustice. Drug dealers are doing it every day. There's drug dealers that are on the street last night and the people that were working for them to supply drugs and to move the drugs down the chain, they didn't give them a whole bunch of money. They just gave them some drugs to get them high for the next day or two. And they're treating them even in an unjust fashion. So injustice uh, is, is wrong across the board. Look at verse 7. Nehemiah had to deal with this. He said, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Again, this usury, this like your credit card rate, when your credit card rate is 19% or 20 or 25% because of a payment. And if you miss one, they slap this huge fee on you. That's what they were talking about. He said, I told them you're hurting your own relatives by charging this interest when they borrow. Verse 11, you must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. Now, let me tell you this, friend. Justice is a biblical idea that we would treat people right, that we would treat people with fairness. Isaiah 1.16, listen to what it says. Give up your evil ways and learn to do good. And that's going to tell us what is evil. It says, seek justice, and here's how you do good. You help the oppressed. You defend the cause of the orphan. You fight for the rights of the widow. So here's what I want to tell you as believing people today, friends. God wants us to help people who are hurting. He wants us to help people who are struggling. He wants us to help people who don't have a voice for themselves. Rosa Parks, you know her name, Martin Luther King, they stood up for the rights of racial equality in America and did a good job. Uh, Operation Rescue, if you've heard of that, Randall Terry. He formed an organization because the, the, the group of people that have the least voice in America today to be heard is the voice of the unborn in the mother's womb. Now, next week, we're going to pause and remember that Roe versus Wade decision. It's a very touchy decision. It touches me in a very personal way that I have shame in. But I'm telling you, friends, we need to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. See, Mother Teresa, she was a voice for the poor on the streets of Calcutta. Uh, all around us in our world today, uh, the voice of the martyrs is, is a voice for the persecuted church. It's trying to bring justice to people who are hurting. You realize today there's a pastor in an Iranian jail that's had a death sentence for months and they simply want him to renounce his Christian faith and acknowledge that Muhammad is God's, you know, God's servant and God's prophet and he won't do it. But he's gotten some acclaim around the world and there's been a little bit of pressure brought to bear simply because somebody is standing up for justice for someone that's in need. And can I tell you, my friends, this is all around us, and we need to teach our children. You need to teach your children about justice. When there's a kid in their classroom that's being belittled because they have whatever, big feet because of the color of their skin, because they're not able to dress nice, you need to teach your children that they need to stand up for that child. Come on. You need to teach your kids to, to stand up for them. 
You know, when you see a program on television and it's got racism in it or, it or it belittles someone that's poor, you need to put it on hold and you need to talk to your children about justice, that we're all equal in the eyes of God. Come on, I'm preaching better than your amening this morning. Justice is not just a secular concept. Justice is a concept from the Bible that's built on the laws of God. And let me say this to you. You do not have true justice unless it's built on the laws of God. Do you realize the laws of our great nation were not just, you know, intended to be uh, isolated to what the Constitution and Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights teach us? Do you realize that those, our founding fathers, that these founding documents, their expectation was that the Bible would underscore all of these founding documents? The founding documents were never intended to address every issue in America's future. The word abortion is not in the Constitution, but somehow people have had to try to find a, a, a a way to address this issue of abortion and they, they find something or create something in the Constitution because they have moved the Bible aside. If they would put the Bible back in its proper, proper place, we would recognize that man is created in the image of God. And the Bible teaches us that in the womb of the mother, Jeremiah was a living human being and God said, I knew you while you were in your mother's womb. And this is where the Christian, not just worldview, but this is where justice comes from. Grounded in the Bible, grounded in the truth of the Word of God. So in our society today, when you're in a a college class or you see a television show and and, and they're demanding justice, the justice of same-sex marriage in America. My friend, you cannot give biblical justice for something that the Bible calls sin. But don't get self-righteous on me because sexual sin is not just homosexuality. It's adultery. And Jesus said, if the thought is in your head, you're just as guilty. Come on, it's fornication. It's pornography. It's a whole group. And, I, and just because you want to do it, just because you feel those feelings. Let me tell you, friends. I have a lot of feelings, the things that I want to do. And my feelings don't make it right. Just because you feel you're some way or you have some thing going on in you, listen, that could be a sinful feeling. I cannot give justice to the one who demands the freedom to choose to take the life of her baby and call it justice when the Bible calls it murder. Again, I'm not talking down to anybody. I'm talking to someone that's been on the wrong side of that and live with that. But I'm telling you, friends, we need to be people that stand for justice, but justice has to be based on biblical truth. And God wants us to stand, particularly for those that cannot stand for themselves. And Nehemiah faced it. And that, my friend, was a second great obstacle. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this, this morning. Let me, let me say this to you. As a, I realize that when we leave the text of Scripture, opinions can get in there. And I do not suggest to you that every opinion I offer you is, is, is absolutely right. Uh, if I'm wrong, I want you to shoot me an email and tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, but I do my best to try to find a biblical truth and how it would integrate in our society and the issues that America's dealing with. That's what the pulpit used to be in America's history, is the pulpit would give the moral boundaries and guidelines for the culture and the society. It would affect everything that they do because how many know the Bible speaks to it? But listen, if I give you an opinion and you don't agree with it, just take it with a grain of salt, spit it out, but don't, you don't have to throw me away because you disagree with me on some, some issue. Praise the Lord. But let me say this to you. If I give you a biblical foundation, for example, of life, 
created in the image of God. God says, I knew you in the womb. And he talked about Jeremiah. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He was not a blob of tissue. He was not the product of conception. He was a living human being. And when I give you that, and then we bring the issue of, the, uh, 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 of choice and abortion in America today, my friends, then it's an, not just an opinion. Come on. Then it's the Bible speaking into issues of the day. And how many know we have to submit ourselves to the Bible, not think that the experts can tell us that it's wrong. Come on, I, that's, a, that's, a, that, that, that's a good one this morning. Let's look further. Nehemiah chapter 5. Let me give you his third conflict, and this was an inner conflict. This was something going on inside of him. and had to do with his rights. And the question is, would he demand his rights or would he give them up? Now, this is a big one. Mind you, now, Nehemiah went back to a people that were struggling. They were poor. People that didn't have much. There had been a lot of pressure and oppression in the land. Well, lo and behold, notice what it says in chapter 5, verse 14. I was the governor of Judah for 12 years. And during that time, neither my brothers nor I ate the food that was allotted for a governor. Now, what does that mean? If you're a governor, and verse 17 will tell us, every day he had to feed 150 people. Now, how many know 150 people can eat a lot of bread? It cost a lot of money. He also would take care of visiting dignitaries. He would also take care of, of people that were just happening through. So he was a governor, and he had an expense account. But here's what I want you to hear. He didn't take it. Now, the word I'm going for, he gave up his right. Verse 15, the governors before me placed a heavy load on the people. They took about a pound of silver from each person. A pound of silver from each person. In today's terms, let's say that would be what? Three, four hundred dollars along with food and wine. Now, mind you, they're taking it from those that really don't have it to give. But I didn't do that because I feared God. Verse 18, I never demanded the food that was due a governor because the people were already working very hard. And then we, here was his prayer. Remember and be kind to me, God, for all the good that I have done for this people. Now, this is a powerful, powerful verse because what it introduces to us is the concept of a servant leader. It introduces to us the idea that this is the type of leader people will follow when a nation is in trouble. And I would suggest to you, these are the type of leaders we need in America today. People that do not just insist and demand on their rights and on their fringe benefits. Come on. And what the other governors and those before them have gotten. But the people are in a precarious place. America is in trouble, friends. What we need is a generation of servant leaders in America. Now, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. Jesus said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Servant. Now, let me again try to apply something that I see happening in our culture today. It's almost like politicians, when we elect them and they go to Washington in particular, be they the Congress, be they the Senate, be they the President, it's almost like they leave we the people and they become a part of an elect group, a part of an elite group. Can we have a candid conversation this morning? If you're going to sign health care legislation, include yourself in it, don't just make it for me. It, it, don't just get yourself opt out of the Social Security system. Treat all of us the same way. Don't have two sets of rules and laws. Jesus said, if you're going to be a leader, be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to do what? Serve others and give His life as a ransom for many. Now listen, I wish that I could be the, the, the chaplain of the Senate or the Congress or, or a pastor to our president for a period of time and just talk with them a little bit. This is what I tell them. I tell them our nation is in trouble. 
Now, this trickles down, not just Washington. I mean, no, this trickles down all through America. Not just government. It trickles through our companies. It trickles, trickles through our families. It trickles through our church. It trickles everywhere. But I would tell them, my, uh, I would tell them, listen, men and women, we need you to be an example of someone who serves the American people, not someone that's just living off what you have voted for yourselves. Come on. And not just living a life that's way above us. I would tell them that it discourages the American people when you go on a vacation, come on, and it costs $4 million plus dollars that we're paying for, and you send your wife a few days earlier on a separate airplane, and you have lunch and spend $250 for two people over lunch. I would say, Mr. President, listen, we want to follow you, but we need to be inspired by an example. I'd like to say, Miss Speaker, I'd like, uh, Mr. Speaker, I'd like to speak to Miss Pelosi and tell them, if you would be a servant of the people, if you, would, if you would exemplify what it means to give yourself. Nehemiah had the right to it. And yes, sir, Mr. Congressman, yes, sir, Mr. President, you have the right to these things. Yes, you can do whatever you want to do. Yes, other presidents, yes, other congressmen have done this. But now is a time when America needs a different kind of leadership. We do not have that kind of money. You're living the life of a king while America is borrowing trillions of dollars and you are destroying our nation, sir. You are bankrupting our nation's future. We go to the grocery store, we try to buy things, and I am shocked at how much things cost anymore. Listen, I make little blueberry shakes for my breakfast and put it in my little protein and all that kind of stuff. I buy big bags at Sam's. A four-pound bag is what I used to get. And I, I looked for it the other day, and it wasn't there anymore because four pounds had shrunk, shrunk to three pounds, and it cost almost as much. Friends, that is inflation. And what's happening is other nations of the world won't, won't loan us money anymore because America's credit's going down the tubes and we're printing money and they're making our money worth less and less. Come on. And they're riding jets all over the world and they're getting rich at our expense. Now, you're going to hear a lot over the next year about, you know, turning America around. But I'm telling you, I want to talk about turning America around too from the Bible's point of view. Not just from a focus group and not just from a survey that somebody put out there, a poll, come on, to try to get your vote to keep them in power. But how many know the problem is not just Washington? How many know it trickles down throughout our culture? And I want to encourage you, there may be times in your life, and I'm going to close with this, there may be times in your life where you may have to give up a right. Because the issue here, are they entitled to it? Absolutely. But guess what? The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. But if the honor is not there, are you going to exact it from the people? Are you going to take the pound of silver? Are you going to demand the food? But what Nehemiah took it a step further. He didn't just say no food on the table here. He fed them out of his own pocket. Now here's something I know, and I'm going to close with this. If you're going to live a life of significance, sooner or later, you're going to have to pay something for it. You cannot separate your material resources from what God wants you to do in the kingdom of God. I fully believe that the tithe is a basic test to see if we will simply put God first in that portion. And it's not just about a tithe. It's not just 10%. It's an attitude of our heart. It's will I put my money where my mouth is. Jesus said where your treasure is. And it's all about the heart. It's not about a couple bucks. It's about the needs of the kingdom of God. Come on. It's about, it's about times when we forgo our rights and we pay a price. But we look to heaven just like Nehemiah did. And Nehemiah said, Lord, remember me for the good that I'm doing. And I bet you there was an angel in heaven that said, write this down. Watch what Nehemiah is doing. And one day, God is going to reward him. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Yes. 
Well, obstacles are going to get in the way. He got in the way of Nehemiah. If he wanted a trouble-free existence, he'd have had to quit. If he'd have wanted a trouble-free existence, he'd have just stayed and worked for the king the rest of his days and sat back and gotten fat and watched HDTV. Come on, watch the Super Bowl coming up. That's what he'd have done. But he didn't. He said, you know what, king? I need to ask you to let me go. And that was one obstacle, his job. Second obstacle was, where was he going to get the resources and the money? Third obstacle is, how was he going to protect himself on the journey? But this morning we saw he couldn't do it by himself. There were discouraged people that he needed to get back encouragement and life to him. He also saw that there was injustice because he knew as if the body was divided, he couldn't go forwards. And he had to have the courage to deal with it. He had to help those who didn't have a voice for themselves. It was an obstacle, but he brought the people together by bringing justice. And lastly, he had to deal with an inner conflict of, am I willing to sacrifice my rights, come on, for the good of the body of Christ, for the good of the kingdom of God, for the good of what God has called me to do? He said yes, and he even paid for it out of his own pocket. And I want to encourage you, friend, whether the obstacle's out there or whether it's inside, it's a barrier to stop you. But with God's help, how many believe we can make it to the other side? Praise the Lord. Well, next week, next week we're going to pick up the opposition of our adversaries because how many know not everybody agrees at what you clapped about today. There's folks in the world that are just very much against it, and they're against it pretty strong. But how many know we don't want to be self-righteous, we don't want to be prideful, but yet we want to have courage to stand for truth and do what it takes, come on, to advance God's kingdom. Let me pray for you. Well, Lord, we're standing before you today, lots of people here simply saying again, we want to make a difference with our life. We want our life to matter. We want our life to count. But, Lord, I know today there's lots of people facing obstacles and barriers. If you've got some obstacles, you might just kind of slip your hands to God. Maybe the Holy Spirit's brought something to mind today, and I want to just pray that God will help you. Whatever that barrier is, we may not know how to get it. We may need the Word from God to show us what to do. We may need to get some testimony under our belt to see God do it and have patience until He comes. I don't know what it is. Or the barriers could be financial, they could be internal, they could be, who knows. But Lord, lots of us today have barriers standing in the way. I just want to pray as we surrender to God that the level of our faith increases, that our ability to hear the Word of God, to hear the voice of God becomes very crystal clear. And Lord, that our courage to face things, whether it's injustice or whether it's, whether it's discouragement or something in our own life that we've got to give up, make a sacrifice, give up our rights, take up our cross as we deny ourselves to follow you. Let us be able to do it. Lord, would you just anoint us? Come on, ask God to anoint you right now. Ask God that his hand would be on your life for good all your days. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. It was a good morning, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Well, listen, invite somebody next week. Invite somebody next week. If it feels a little crowded to you, we've got plenty of room on Saturday night and Sunday in the first service. But let me, uh, let, let me let, here's how we're going to close today. We want to make an opportunity to pray for you. I don't ever believe a service is complete until there's an opportunity given for everybody that wants prayer to receive prayer. You know, a lot of you have things that are just kind of right there and you feel pretty good about life right now, but you know you're going to leave this church building and you're going to go back and face something and you need God to help you. Can I tell you, friends, prayer can make a difference. And I would encourage you, if you've got something big in your life that troubles you, don't leave this building until somebody's prayed for you. Everybody needs prayer. The way we do it, we'll just sing one last chorus and our prayer team will come forwards and if you want prayer, you just come on up here and somebody will be with you in a private way and just pray for God to help your life. But, but let me make this, this last petition today that maybe you're here 
and, 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 and your personal relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Now, I fully understand that because I was raised in church and I didn't know that you could have a personal relationship with God. I just thought, you know, like on Communion Sunday, this true story here, but in our little Methodist church, we'd have communion. That's the day I really tried to be holy. And the way I would try to be holy and righteous is I wouldn't be ugly to my sister. And it would last, you know, anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes to an hour. But lo and behold, I'd go back to it. Can I tell you, you can't do enough to be holy. You can't do enough to be righteous. There's only one that can give you righteousness, and that's Christ. There's only one way for you to receive the righteous standing with God, and that's when the blood of Christ that we remember today is like a covering over our sins, and God atones for our sins. Here's the neat thing. Christ did that on the cross 2,000 years ago. And since that time, he has been speaking to people through guys and gals just like me, telling people that you can have a personal walk with God, telling people that if you make your, give your life to Christ, if you not only ask for his forgiveness, but put your life in his hands and follow him, Jesus can give you a brand new life. I, there was a time when I was a young guy, there was just an emptiness in my life, and I tried to fill it with a lot of things. Can I tell you, another degree won't make you happy. More money won't make, give lasting happiness. Another relationship won't give you lasting happiness. A, a bigger house won't give you lasting happiness. There's a God-shaped void in your life that alcohol won't fill, drugs won't fill, sex won't fill, nothing else will fill but God. And see, He's done His part. He's waiting on you. It's as if He's standing at the door knocking through my words today. And I dare say there's a lot of people that are here today saying, I, I, I want that. I want to give my life to God. I, I, I want to find my identity in Him. I want His forgiveness. But I also bet you that there's a voice telling you to get out of this place. Get out of here. Well, who do you think that is? I bet you that's the devil trying to pull you away because I'm not inviting you to join the church. You can do that if you like later, but I'm inviting you to make a step to Christ and simply saying, we'd like to help you. We'd like to pray for you. We'd like to give you some things to show you how to live the Christian life and how to go forward. And if you're here this morning and say, Pastor, you're talking to me, I want to make that step today. I don't want to leave here the way I came. I want Jesus to be my Savior, and I want to put my trust in Him. Would you lift your hand real high? Let us know who you are. We'll pray for you. God bless you back there. Two people. God bless you. Three. God bless you. God bless you too, buddy. Somebody else today. Pray for me. God bless you over here, pal. Somebody else. Pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. Anybody else this morning? Maybe you've done this before, but you need to get back. God bless you, dear, and God bless you too. God bless you. You that lifted your hands, won't you come on up? Let us pray for you now as our prayer team comes. Bring him on up here. Bring your friend up. Come on, bring your friend up here. Give him one more big hand. Come, let us pray for you. You in the back that lifted your hand, come, let us pray for you. Don't want a thing from you. Want to pray for you. Want to give you something that's going to help you on your Christian journey. Come, let us pray for you today. Come, let us pray for you. If you need to be up here, somebody will make a stand with you today. Somebody will stand with you today to believe God with you. Come, let us pray.